Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. Hey, thank you guys for being at church today. I know it's summertime in Michigan and there's a lot of uh, other things we could be doing. Thank you for prioritizing the worship of the Lord this morning. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, can you open them up to 1 Kings 19? We're going to be in the Old Testament this morning in the book of 1 Kings. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles right now who would love to get a copy of God's Word into your hand. We're going to be in the Bible this morning, so you're definitely going to want that. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that as our gift to you. If you're visiting uh, or this is the first time you're hanging out with us, my name's Calvin. I'm the lead pastor here. So thankful that you are here specifically. And uh, what we've been doing as a church is we've been working through a series called How People Change. And we've been getting after very, very real, practical areas areas that you and I can change in. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about uh, lament and sadness. We've talked about anxiety. We've been looking at scripture saying, hey, where can we grow and change as followers of Jesus? And what we're going to talk about today, if I could be honest, I hadn't intended on preaching on this issue. This was something that I've preached on three or four years ago, and I wasn't going to hit it in this series. But over the last few months, Mary and I and our staff at church have been talking with so many people who are finding a very specific struggle in their lives that I'm like, you know what, it's worth talking about on a Sunday morning. So I'm praying that this morning is going to be helpful and encouraging for a lot of us because we're going to talk about something that everyone in here has to deal with. And here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about lies. And um, I would say one of the things that's disappointing for me is it seems like there's very few things everyone in our country or in our world can agree upon, isn't there? It seems like increasingly less. There are things that bring us together, that hold us together. We are more divided than we've ever been. But one of the few things that I believe that everyone can agree on is that lying is wrong and being lied to really, really hurts, doesn't it? Like, I don't think it matters if you're a Democrat or a Republican, if you're liberal or conservative, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jew, if you're a Muslim, if you're an atheist, or anywhere in between, everyone would say, yeah, lying is wrong. It's not good. In fact, it's a federal offense to lie under oath in our country. It's one of the few things, if you think about it, we agree on very few things like we agree on lying. I remember when I was in high school, I was 14 or 15 years old, and my dad called me into his office. And he goes, Cal, you're not in trouble, but he goes, I want to talk to you about something. And he goes, "Um, I've accepted the reality that over the next four or five years, you're going to do some really dumb things. And I was like, well, thanks, Dad. That makes me feel great. This is a good conversation. And he goes, listen, high schoolers are morons, and um, you're not that special. You're going to do some dumb things. And so I've already accepted that that's going to happen. And he goes, listen, when you do dumb things, when you disobey mom and dad, when you get into trouble, there are going to be consequences. But here's what I want to talk to you about. He goes, the consequences are going to be way, way, way less if you're honest about it. He goes, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. But he goes, here's what I'm begging of you. Don't lie about it. Don't hide. If you come to me and you tell the truth, we can work through anything. But if you lie and you hide and you get comfortable with a pattern of dishonesty, it will destroy everything good that God wants for you in your life. And it was a transformative conversation for me. I'm going to have that with conversation with my boys in about five years from now. Um, I think we could just have an open mic and everyone could tell stories about times they've been lied to and how painful that was. Well, here's the big idea this morning, and here's what we're going to get after in the text. Um, You are being lied to way more than you realize. 
All of us have to fight lies. And again, I'm praying that today is going to be super impactful and helpful because I believe that one of the greatest challenges we as followers of Jesus practically face day in, day out is battling lies that the enemy sows in our hearts and sows in our mind with the purpose of discouraging us from following Jesus. So before we jump into the text, there's a couple anchors I need to put down around this. I want to talk about three spiritual realities. Here's the first. Um, You need to know you have an enemy. You have an enemy. The Bible is very clear that there is more happening in our world than what we can see with our eyes and sense with our senses. That there is a spiritual reality and there is a war and a battle going on between God and the enemy of God, which is Satan and his demonic forces. Ephesians 6 says this, it says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Second Corinthians 10 says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's a few quick bullet points on this enemy, Satan. A couple things you need to know about him. Um, he was created as an angel. And in the angelic hierarchy, he was a very strong, powerful angel, and he was beautiful. And Satan's original sin was pride. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be at the center of all things. And he led a rebellion against God in heaven. And he was so beautiful and powerful and crafty, he deceived a third of the angels who joined forces with him. And Satan and those angels were cast out of heaven. That is Satan and what we would now call demonic forces. All right? The other thing you need to know is that Satan is still fueled by pride. He hates God. He hates when people love God and follow God and worship God. And he wants us to live for our own glory like he lives for his own glory. He is fueling both in our hearts and in our culture these lies that say you can live apart and separate from God. Put yourself at the center of attention, live for your glory, do what you want, and that is the message that he gives. And then here's the other thing you need to know about Satan. He's a created being. He's not equal to God. This isn't a 50-50 fight. He's already defeated. He knows that when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, that his days are numbered. And he is dealing with limited time before we know that one day he will be bound and cast into hell. He is not all-powerful like God. He is not omnipresent like God. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. He does not know all things. He is a created being, but he is God's enemy. Then here's the second thing the Bible is very, very clear on, is that Satan's primary weapons in this spiritual battle are lies. In John 8, Jesus talks about Satan. He's talking to the Pharisees, and here's what he said. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a a liar and the father of lies. The way that Satan draws people away from God is to lie to them in a way that attacks God's word, God's character, and God's promises. If you were to read Genesis 3 and the lies he told to Adam and Eve, you see all of these at play. 
he attacks God's word. He says, did God really say you can't eat of any fruit of any tree in the garden? God didn't say that. He said there was one tree specifically you couldn't eat of. And then he attacks God's character. He, he says, um, do you know that um, God just doesn't want you to eat of that tree? Because if you eat of him, you're going to be just like him and you're going to be just as strong as him and just as powerful as him. And God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because he's keeping you down. He attacks God's goodness. And then he goes, um, did God really say that you would die if you eat of the fruit of this tree? He attacks a promise of God. He goes, you're not going to die. That's not true. This is how he lies. And Satan and his demons are still running this exact same play today. These are the same lies you and I fight all the time. There was a book written a couple years ago called The Gospel According to Satan. And what it did was it kind of outlined eight macro cultural lies that most people believe, including most Christians. Throw up that next slide. Eight cultural lies. Here they are. That God just wants you to be happy. That you only live once. That you need to live your truth. That what you feel is what is most real. Your feelings are reality. That your life is what you make it. That you just need to let go and let God. That the cross is not about wrath and that God helps those who help themselves. It's like none of these things are found in scripture, but they're cultural lies close to the truth, but not the truth that he sows into our culture. I would say the macro main lie that Satan tells is that life and joy and satisfaction can be found apart from God. You and I fight a lie every morning when we wake up that, that the lie says, Cal, you don't exist for God in his glory. You weren't created by God. You're not designed to worship God. You're designed for you. And every day we have to make that choice. Am I going to believe that lie? Or am I going to step into reality and say, no, 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 I am created, that God is in control, that he has created all things, and that I have a created purpose, and that is to honor and glorify the Lord, and that's what's going to dictate the temperature of my life. Okay, so he tells these big macro lies, but I need you to hear me. He also lies to us on an individual level. And the problem is, is Satan and his demons, they're really good liars, like, this wouldn't be a problem if the enemy was bad at lying, would it? Like, if they were bad liars, we would be able to see it and discern it, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, just this week, uh, we had some of our best friends over, and um, uh, the couple, they have a daughter who's seven or eight years old. She's about Judah's age, our youngest. And uh, we had dinner, and we were hanging out on the porch, and all of a sudden, this little girl comes over, and um, cutest, sweetest thing in the world, and she goes, hey, mom, can I have a cookie for dessert? And the mom knows her daughter and is smart enough to ask the follow-up question. She goes, how many cookies have you already had? And the little girl goes, I've had three already. And the mom's like, then no, you cannot have another cookie. You've already had your cookies for dessert. And the little girl, you see her mind start to work. And she looks at her mom and she asks the follow-up question. She goes, what if my answer is only two? And the mom's like, well, then you would be lying and you still don't get dessert, right? Like one of the things I love about little kids is they're terrible liars. The problem is, is Satan and his enemy, they are really good at lying. And they know us and they know our weaknesses. They know what lies we tend to believe. They know when to hit us with lies and their lies are very effective. All right, I need you to hear me. This is so important. You see, you can't win a fight you don't know you're in. And I need you to understand this. You know that not every voice you hear in your head is your own, right? You get that. Like the Bible's very clear that we hear voices that are not our own. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what that means? It means you have the Holy Spirit. And God's voice dwells in your life. It says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit helps us pray. 
that when we're here and we're worshiping and it's like, God, this is true and this is right and I'm raising my hands, that the Holy Spirit is working inside of us and he's calling us to follow God. We have God's spirit that speaks to us, but we also have an enemy that lies to us. So I think a really like honest question we might need to ask is how do I discern if I'm hearing from the voice of God or if I'm hearing from the enemy? And it's very, very easy to tell. See, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, it works in a very consistent way. The Holy Spirit always deals with specifics. It's convicting and it leads to to healing and restoration. So let me give you an example. Here's how the Holy Spirit's going to work. It's gonna focus on a specific issue. Hey, your attitude was bad at work today. Hey, the way you responded to your kids yesterday afternoon, it was impatient and it wasn't loving. Hey, you were dishonest about this thing last week. It's very, very specific. It's convicting you of it and it wants you to go lead to repentance and restoration. Hey, you need to confess that sin. You need to go tell your kids, hey, daddy screwed up and he's sorry. Would you please forgive me? Hey, be honest, go make it right. It leads you to healing. The enemy deals with generality. It attacks your character and it attacks God's character. It's condemning and it's drawing you to isolation. So here's how the enemy is going to work. It's going to not say, hey, you messed up here yesterday. It's going to say you're a terrible father and you're screwing up your kids. And your kids aren't going to love you. And the same brokenness your dad has, you're going to have. And you're messing your family's life up. It's never going to get better. You should stop even trying. Right? The enemy is going to tell you no one's struggling with what you struggle with. No one understands what you're going through. If you talk to other people, they're going to reject you. If you were still a Christian, you wouldn't struggle with these things. And the fact that you can't get on top of it means that God doesn't really love you. He's angry with you. He's disappointed with you. And you might as well just shrink away and isolate yourself because you're a failure. Right? Can we be honest at church this morning? How many of you guys have heard voices like that before? You need to understand you have an enemy that is lying to you. A massive part of the Christian life is engaging in a spiritual battle with an enemy that is desperate to keep you from following and growing in Christ. You can't win a fight you don't know you're in. And then here's the third reality, it's this. You don't graduate from the fight. You don't graduate from this fight. Listen, the Bible promises us that there's a day that's coming when Jesus returns and sin and death will be defeated. Satan and his enemies will be bound and cast into hell. And there's a day we're not going to have to fight the lies of the enemy. And look at me, that day's gonna be amazing. Do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and say, that's gonna be awesome. Right, so looking forward to that day. That's way better than 75 and sunny and Coast Guard Festival. I'm ready for the day that we don't have to fight the lies of the enemy anymore. Um, but that day's not today. And so I don't care if you're 80 years old or if you're eight years old, part of living life is engaging in this fight. And what I love about this passage today is we're gonna look at a man named Elijah. And Elijah was the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. He is such a a, a good man that when Jesus, when he was ministering here on earth, he had that moment where he went on top of a mountain and he transfigured and his glory was revealed to some of his disciples. And the guys that came down and hung out with Jesus in that moment was Moses and Elijah. He's on the Mount Rushmore of greatest men in all of scripture. And we're gonna see him both fail 
at fighting these lies, and then we're going to see him succeed at battling lies. And here's what's so encouraging about that. Listen, if Elijah can fight this fight, you and I have the permission to fight this fight as well, and we're not always going to handle it perfectly. All right, 1 Kings 19, let me set up the backdrop. 1 Kings 18 is the absolute highlight of Elijah's ministry. You see, the king of Israel is a guy named Ahab. He marries a woman named Jezebel, who's a follower of Baal. She's a Canaanite woman, and she is way into this cult of Baal. So she sets up altars all over the place. She makes the people of Israel worship these false gods, and Israel's heart's turning away from the Lord. So Elijah's like the voice being like, no, 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 this isn't real. Turn back to the Lord. And finally, Elijah challenges a hundred prophets of Baal, and they have a showdown. They're like, hey, you versus me, loser dies. And what they do is is they set up two altars, one to God and one to Baal. And they're like, whichever one has fire rain down from heaven on it, that's the God that's real. And Elijah lets the prophets of Baal go first. And they scream and they cry and they chant and they cut themselves. So they're bleeding on the altar and nothing happens. Nothing comes down from the sky. And so what Elijah does in kind of a really cool, confident move is he goes, hey, soak the altar with water, drench it. Then all he does is he gets on a knee and he prays and fire engulfs the altar. And the people of Israel see it. They chase down the false prophets and they put them to death. Right, that's 1 Kings 18. So this is the story after the story in 1 Kings 19. Look at verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not take your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Okay, so the queen hears about this. She hears that her prophets are killed and that they lost this contest. And she's mad and she goes, hey, Elijah, as the most powerful woman in the country, I am dedicating my life to finding you and killing you. I don't care about being a queen anymore. I don't care about ruling the nation anymore. I just want you dead. That's all I care about. So Elijah is freaked out and he and his servant flee into the wilderness. Look at verse four. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, is it enough now, O Lord, to take away my life? For I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. All right, so this amazing thing happens here. The same Elijah who was so confident in the present and power of God that he challenged a hundred prophets to a life or death battle. The same Elijah who was so bold is now in the wilderness asking to die. He's like, God, just kill me. Just take my life. What changed? What happened? Here's what changed. Elijah started to believe lies. You see it right there. Look what he says. He says, for I am no better than my father's. Do you see the lie? He's being told none of what you do matters. You aren't making a difference. No one listens to you. No one cares. You would be better off dead. Just give up. He's giving into a lie. Look at verse five. It says, and as he lays down and slept under the broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. And then the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb to the Mount of God. Okay, here's what we see in these verses. 
um, we see three times or three ways the lies of the enemy tend to be loudest. Here's the first. The lies of the enemy tend to be loudest when I'm exhausted. Like, I love how God interacts with Elijah here. Elijah's freaking out. He wants to die. He's alone in the wilderness. And God's like, hey, you know what you need to do first? You need to get some food in you and you need to take a nap. And then you need to do it again. Like Elijah has just come off of this massive moment. His adrenaline would have been through the roof. He's got this major victory. And then he's told he's going to be hunted down and killed. So he's running for his life and he's just exhausted. He's at his wit's end and his defenses are down. And the lies of the enemy are very, very loud and they're taking root. Hear me, when you and I are exhausted, our defenses tend to come down and we are more prone to believing lies. So if I could be really transparent with all of you, one of the things that I know about my life is Mondays tend to be dangerous days for me. They do, and here's why. Because Sundays are really, really busy. I preach four times in the weekend. I usually have some ministry stuff going on after church on Sunday, and by Monday, I am wiped out. And it's easy for me to get selfish or to spiral or to believe lies on Monday. And Mondays, if I'm not careful, can be a day of discouragement for me. And so what happens is when I'm spiraling or when I'm in a bad mood or when I'm struggling, my wife will lovingly remind me. She's like, hey, Cal, I just want to remind you it's Monday. Right? In that moment, I don't love it. I'm like, thanks, babe. So helpful right now. You just fixed everything, right? Like, I don't always respond great in the moment. But what she's doing is that she's being kind enough to remind me, you're exhausted. Your defenses are down. The lies from the enemy are getting loud. Listen, we need to know what season of life we are in. Are we not getting a lot of sleep? Are we busy? Are there broken relationships in our life that we're thinking about that are taking a lot out of us? Are there unique things going on that would make us more susceptible to believing things you and I know aren't true? Elijah was exhausted and the lies were getting loud. Here's the second The lies in my head get loud when I am isolated. Right, jump back to verse three for a second. I want you to see something. So then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. It's interesting. If you're the kind of person that likes to take notes in your Bible, I love those people. Do me a favor, underline that last phrase. He left his servant there. Here's what's interesting. No one told him to do that. That was a choice he made on his own. He's scared. He's exhausted. He's running for his life. The lies in his head are getting loud, and he chose to isolate himself. This was a really dumb move. When life got hard, Elijah isolated, and maybe he was worried about being vulnerable in front of his friend. Maybe he didn't want to let anyone down, but he chose to isolate himself from a good voice in his life that made the lies only get louder. And unfortunately, I see people do this way too much. One of the things we tend to do when we are spiraling in our thoughts is we tend to push others away. And this is actually a symptom of believing these very specific lies. No one's going to understand what I'm going through. What I'm going through is unique. If people knew what I was dealing with, they would reject me. I don't want to be a hassle for others. People don't actually care about me. I don't want to be a bother to others. These are lies that the enemy is going to do to keep you from reaching out because things never get better in isolation. Uh, Let me tell you a quick story. So six years or so ago, 
we had just moved into our new house, and our house had these fireplaces where it's a fireplace and then there's glass in front of it. And when the fire's going, the glass gets really, really hot, so hot that if you touch it, it can burn you. Well, we had young kids, and we had told our kids, hey, if the fire's on, you got to stay away from the glass. We had trained them. If the fireplace was on, Mary would, like, sit in front of the fire just to be a, a wall of protection to make sure our kids were paying attention. Like, we did everything right in trying to instruct our kids. But one night, right around bedtime, at about 7.30 or 8, Bo decided, like a kamikaze, to run, and he just hit both of his hands on the glass while the fire was going and got second-degree burns on both of his hands. And... Um, it was really, really painful, and it wasn't great. We had to take him to the ER, and so you know how it works. By the time you go to the ER, you're there for three or four hours before anything happens. And so by the time that he got bandaged up and got seen and got wrapped and told how to care for it and all of that, Mary didn't get home till about 1230 or 1. And I'd stayed home, I'd put the other kids down, and I was waiting for her to come because I knew she would be struggling. we get Bo to bed finally, and we're laying in bed, and I'm just about dozing off. And all of a sudden, Mary wakes me up, and she goes, Cal, I, I need your help. And I'm like, what's going on, babe? She goes, I am hearing very loud and specific lies right now that I can't get on top of by myself. I need you to pray for me. And what was happening is that she was exhausted. She'd just gone through something traumatic and she was laying in bed and she was hearing voices saying, you're a terrible mother and this is your fault and you hurt your kid, you are the problem. And she's like, I am just spiraling. And so thankfully by her wisdom and God's grace, she reached out to me and we prayed together. She didn't isolate herself and those voices subsided very, very quickly. But it wasn't just her thoughts spiraling. There were lies from a real enemy looking to discourage. When we isolate, the voices get loud. Nothing gets better in isolation. Then here's the third way, and this one's kind of a curveball. The voices can get loud in my life when I'm simply following the Lord. One of the things I really love about this story is that we're, again, seeing Elijah, who is a mature, faithful follower of God, who's walking in obedience. He's just doing what God is asking him to do, and he is being bombarded with lies. He's come off the biggest victory in his life, following the Lord, not doing anything wrong, and he's being overwhelmed with lies from the enemy. And here's why I love that. Because I talk to so many people who are discouraged because they think that battling the lies is a failure. It's like, man, I'm so discouraged because the voice of the enemy is loud in my life right now and it's trying to discourage me and it's telling me lies. And I'm like, listen, that's not a failure. That's just doing exactly what you've been called to do. Don't believe the lie. Don't give in to the lie. Surround yourself with truth, but the fact that we get bombarded with lies, it's not sin on our fault, on our part. It's not failure. It's part of being a follower of the Lord. Anytime there's forward momentum in our life for the cause of Christ, there's going to be an uptick in spiritual warfare. It's how it works. Look at verse 9. It says, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. All right, so Elijah travels 40 days into the wilderness. And by the time he's done, he's still believing the lies of the enemy. Do you see how what he tells God, he's showing that the truth has been twisted? 
He, he's saying, listen, all of Israel has abandoned you and, and they seek to take my life and kill me and only I'm left. Listen, none of that's true. He's just experienced revival when they defeated the prophets of Baal. Not all of Israel is trying to kill Elijah, just Queen Jezebel and her forces. So it's like there's these partial truths, but the truth is being twisted to be way worse than it really is. And Elijah is believing these lies. Okay, and here's what I need you to see. Don't miss what God is doing in the scriptures here, right? How long was Elijah in the wilderness before he got to Mount Horeb? What did it say? Say it louder. 40 days. Okay, can I ask you a question? Anyone else in the Bible you know of spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness? Jesus did. Okay, so when Jesus was in the wilderness, guess what he was doing? He was being tempted by the enemy. Guess how the enemy tempts? He lies. So what God's doing is he's saying, hey, in the moment where the greatest prophet in all of Israel failed against the temptation and the lies of the enemy, Jesus, the great prophet and our great high priest, he succeeded. He defeated the enemy because listen, our hope is not in the prophets and our hope is not in our strength to perfectly battle these lies. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus did it and he is king and he is Lord and he is reigning and we are hidden in Christ. Where the greatest prophet failed, Jesus, our great prophet, was victorious. And he is the one who has defeated sin and Satan. Look at verse 11. I love how God responds to Moses here, or Elijah, sorry. He says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only I am left and they seek to take my life, to take it away. I love this. Before God even engages with the lies that Elijah is believing, he's like, let me just remind you how powerful I am. And he brings this wind that like is so strong, it's splitting rocks apart. Like that would be incredible to see. And then he brings an earthquake and then a fire, but then he speaks to him in a low whisper. And here's the crazy thing. Elijah is so tied up in lies. He doesn't even recognize what God is doing. And he repeats the same thing. He's regurgitating the same lies. So what God does next is he's gonna help Elijah break this cycle of lies. And what we're going to see in verse 15 is three ways that we can have victory when we're hearing lies against the, of the enemy. Here's verse 15, look what it says. It said, and the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Meloah, you shall appoint prophet in your place. And the ones who escape from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, so here's the path to victory. The first thing we need to do if we're gonna have victory in battling these lies is we need to let God's voice be loudest. Like here's what God starts doing. He just starts speaking to Elijah. He's like, here's my plan. 
You're going to anoint this guy to be king, and you're going to anoint this guy to be king. You're going to anoint another prophet. And then he goes, guess what's going to happen? The enemies of me are going to be destroyed by these leaders. And I have preserved many people who have not fallen into idol worship, and my plans will not fail. I am still in control. I am sovereign. I am working. This is not for nothing. Be faithful and watch what I do. God is saying, you need to let my voice be the loudest in your life. You know, it's funny. Many of us, if we've grown up in the church, we've had to like do a skit or we've heard about putting on the armor of God, right? How many of you are familiar with that from Ephesians 6? There's like the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and all all of these things. So can I ask you a question? In the armor of God in Ephesians 6, what's the sword? It's the sword of the spirit, Is it? Because that's not what Ephesians 6 actually says. It says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is actually God's Word. The sword of the Spirit, he's saying the Spirit in you is going to fight with truth. The way we battle the lies of the enemy is with truth. God has given us his Word, and his Word defines reality. It is true. What God says about God in the Bible is true, that he is sovereign, that he is ruling, that he is reigning, that he is in control of everything. What the Bible says about Jesus is true, that he is fully God, fully man, defeated the enemy, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose from the dead, is ruling and reigning, and is going to return in glory. Jesus wins. And church, what the Bible says about us and our identity in the scripture is true. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not heights, not depths, not even the lies that you're being told all of the time. Listen, we fight lies with truth. And can we have real talk right now? The reason so many of us are in here and we're drowning in lies is because we neglect to rightly value God's word in our life. We just don't care. We believe the lie that we can exist independently from God and we get bombarded with lies and people come to you like, Cal, I'm believing lies and I'm so discouraged and I'm not growing in my faith. And what I want to tell them, it's like, yeah, because you're engaging in a spiritual fight with a pool noodle. It's not going awesome for you, is it? So there's a reason why we treasure God's word. There's a reason why when we gather together, we set aside time to open God's word and let it speak truth over our lives. Listen, none of us get a hall pass in this today. You've got to decide what voice is going to be loudest in your life. Is it going to be the enemies? Is it going to be your friends? Is it going to be your families? Is it going to be your mother-in-laws? Is it going to be cultures? Or is it going to be the word of the Lord? God is reestablishing for Elijah What voice is loudest? Here's the next way we have victory in this fight. Um, I choose obvious obedience. And here's what I love about God in this. Here's what he's telling Elijah, if I could summarize. He's saying, go do your job. Go do what I've called you to. Go anoint this king of Syria. Go anoint this king of Israel. Go do prophet things. He's saying, just because you're struggling and you're discouraged and you're dealing with lies of the enemy, don't stay in the wilderness feeling bad for yourself. Don't sit on the sideline. Go act out and live in active obedience. Look at me, church. All of us have things that we're called to be obedient to the Lord in today, right? We're all going to be awake for somewhere between eight to 12 hours after we leave church. God's calling us to walk in obedience. 
Listen, if you have kids, love your kids and parent them well. If you have a spouse, seek their needs greater as your own. Uh, We're called to pray. We're called to be humble. We're called to give thanks to the Lord. Like there are things that we are called to do. And if we wait till we feel like it before we act out on obedience, we're going to stay on the sidelines our entire life. Part of living in faith is saying in the moment when I'm discouraged and I'm struggling and I'm drowning, I'm still gonna do what I know honors the Lord because I believe that his word is true. And what he tells us is he says, do not grow weary in doing good for in due season you will reap a reward if you do not give up. And what God says is true, so I'm going to live that out. Then here's the third way we have victory is this, we lean into godly relationships. In verse 16, God says, hey, I want you to anoint another prophet named Elisha. Here's what God's doing. He's giving him a friend. He's saying, you can't do this alone. You need a protege. You need a partner. You need someone else to walk alongside of you so that when you're battling these lies, he can be a voice of truth for you. Listen, one of the greatest blessings in my life are the people in my life who know me and who I know them well enough where I can walk into their house and they just look at me and they're like, Cal, you're not doing so good, are you? I see it all over your face. You're believing some lies from the enemy. Let's talk about it. Let's correct it. Let's get after it. Listen, speaking the truth to one another in love is a necessity if we're going to have victory against a very real enemy who wants to keep us isolated, who wants to keep us all alone so that we stay discouraged and alone. The greatest lie that many of us in here have to battle even today is that I can do this on my own. And what I'm so nervous about is I've been pastoring here long enough that there are so many people that I see every weekend and they come to church, but they never plug into a small group and they never serve and they never really engage into the life of this church. And I'm worried that they're secretly and quietly just drowning and battling lies all by themselves and that they're going to stay stuck because they don't have the courage or they don't understand that we weren't meant to live this life alone. You need people in your life who love the Lord, who are going to hold you accountable and walk with you. It's such a necessity. Okay, so here's how I want to close. I want to close with just this one encouragement this morning. It's this. There is victory in this fight. You can absolutely experience real, tangible victory. And I want to close by using this analogy. Uh, one of my favorite movies uh, in my life that I've seen is this movie called A Beautiful Mind. Have any of you guys seen this movie? Uh, it's a movie about a mathematician from Princeton University named John Nash. It's played by Russell Crowe. And, and John Nash is a brilliant world-class mind. And um, he actually wins the Nobel Peace Prize later in his life for a mathematical theory that had such an impact on the world. But here's the other thing about John Nash is he has a form of mental illness that allows him to see things and people and patterns that aren't real. So he has a college roommate who he thought was real that wasn't real. And and that roommate had a niece that also wasn't real. And he had a boss that he thought existed that didn't exist. So there's this like fascinating dynamic between a man who is so gifted and so smart, but also really struggles to live in reality. And when he listens to these voices, it causes him to spiral so much that he has to be institutionalized for a season. Well, the way the movie ends, it kind of jumps forward in time to where John Nash is an old man. 
and he has been able to live a successful academic life and he has gotten on top of this fight and he's about to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. And he's having a conversation with a colleague, an old friend of his who's known him and who has known this struggle. And his friend asks him, he goes, how did you get the voices in your head to go away? How, how did you get over this issue? And John says, they never left. And he says, I still see things that aren't real. I just choose not to acknowledge them. Like a diet of the mind, I choose not to indulge in the illusion. And I think that's a very, very cool picture of what maturing in Christ looks like and having victory in fighting the lies of the enemy. Listen, they're never going away. But as God's word becomes louder in our life, as we walk in obedience, as we surround ourselves with godly voices who are pulling the rope the same way on the same team, helping us, those lies do get quieter. And those seasons where we believe them and we spiral, they get shorter. We have an enemy, but look at me, the enemy's defeated. He cannot conquer us. He cannot change or defeat what Christ has done. It's a defeated enemy. We are victorious in Christ and we can experience real victory this side of heaven. So here's what I want you to do as we close. Can you just bow your heads with me for a moment? And I'm just feeling really um, compelled by the Lord. One of the things we believe about God's word is that he hears the prayers of his people. And so I think I wouldn't be doing us a service tonight. We're gonna have the lights come down here in a sec. We're gonna get ready to close in worship. But what I wanna do is I'm gonna ask some of you to be bold. And uh, I wanna pray over people in this room who are walking in a season where the lies of the enemy are very, very right in front of them and very loud. So if you're here and you're like, man, I needed to hear this and I've been dealing with very specific lies from the enemy this week, could you just raise your hand? So I could pray over you. Could you acknowledge, hey, God, I'm here and I need your help and I need your spirit to, to battle these lies. Yeah, there's hands going up all over the room. Keep them up. And let that be an action of just saying, God, I'm receiving your help right now and I'm receiving your prayer and I'm taking a step of faith to believe that you are real and are gonna show up. You can put them down, but I'm gonna pray for you right now. Dearly Father, God, I just wanna lift up specifically those who are here and they're struggling. God, I'm so thankful that this can be a place where it's okay to not be okay. All of us have seasons where the lies of the enemy are very loud, but God, you're stronger and you're sovereign and you're good and you're ruler and you're healer and you're king and you are all of those things and more. So God, I'm just praying right now that even through your word today and through our worship together, that you would be battling these lies, that your voice would become loud, that obedience and encouragement and community would take place in a way that is real and tangible. Would you tangibly show up in these folks' lives this week? We love you. We're so thankful that we can be here and talk about these things honestly out of a place of victory, not out of a place of fear or defeat because your son, Jesus Christ, is ruler and Lord over all. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.